Welcome to Cannabis Capital, the podcast. Blunt truths about the cannabis economy with your hosts, Ross O'Brien and Maggie Kelly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cannabis Capital, the podcast. I'm your host, Ross O'Brien, author of Cannabis Capital, the book, a venture capitalist, and I'm here with my colleague and co-host, Maggie Kelly. Hi, Maggie. How are you today? Hi, Ross. I'm great today, and I'm happy to be here. We have an outstanding interview today. This week's episode features a real trailblazer in the cannabis economy, Caitlin Krebs, co-founder and CEO of Nalu Bio. But before we get started, it's time for the Cannabis Economy Challenge. Okay, bring it on. For new listeners, our challenge is based on our belief that cannabis is not an industry, but a global macro economy. The impact of legalization is not creating one industry, but multiple dynamic industries in their own right. So Ross, this week's challenge is interesting. It's from an anonymous submission through the website. Listeners, that's CannabisCapitalPodcast.com if you want to submit your challenge. And this submission just said gig economy. So Ross, what say you? Is the gig economy impacted by the cannabis economy? Sounds like somebody was smoking their own stash when they sent that one in. So, so gig economy, as I understand it, right? And, and Maggie, I love this challenge, right? And our belief that cannabis is an economy and not an industry. And a gig economy, as I understand it, is really about specific job tasks and those job tasks and how people staff them within their different categories. It also occurs to me that this is something that's probably quite prescient, given that we are coming out of the pandemic situation and people are working remotely, as all we are on the conversation here today. And so when I think about people managing themselves, right, it's very I think the gig economy is very entrepreneurial. And that's the conversation that we're going to have today with Caitlin that I'm really excited about. But when I think about people in the gig economy, I think about them being self-managed, right? And and people being able to work on their own schedules and work on their own timelines and then being able to deliver results for the people that they're working with. That all goes to an HR issue for me, right? Which is what are your policies when you're engaging people in the gig economy to support your different business objectives? And, and do you have a policy about drug use, right? And that's something that we're seeing Amazon very out in the front of right now is, will they continue to test for, and it looks like they won't contest test for cannabis consumption. And so when you're an employer and you're thinking about hiring people in the gig economy, those are things that you need to think about today because cannabis is available to everybody. And is it something that should be, could be, or or will be part of your policies when you engage in the gig economy as, as an employer? How'd I do? You did great. But it also makes me think about I can order pretty much anything I want and have it delivered to my home by a member of the gig economy, whether that's Uber Eats or DoorDash, or if I forgot something at Target, I can have that shipped. We'll bring that to my home. And Maggie, on that point, one of the things that we saw during the pandemic is that a number of states that were already legal for recreational use started to pass legislation for things like delivery. Cannabis became an essential service during the pandemic. And we've seen a lot of businesses that are starting up and, and supporting home delivery. And if you think about it, only a couple of years ago, 
it, it wasn't even fathomable to think about buying cannabis in a store, let alone have it delivered to your home. Pretty exciting. A lot to unfold in the future. So we'll see how this goes. All right. So I would say, Ross, that your record is intact. Still batting a thousand. All right. Bring on the cannabis economy challenge. Try to stump me. All right, listeners, if you think you can stump Ross, please visit CannabisCapitalPodcast.com and submit your challenge. As a favor to me, put Ross in his place. Really stump him. He's incorrigible enough as it is. Your challenge submission could make it on a future episode. Now, please stay tuned for an outstanding interview with Caitlin Krebs, co-founder and CEO of Nalu Bio. Hi, I'm Caitlin Krebs. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Nalu Bio. We're developing cannabinoids through chemistry. And my blunt truth is that biotech investors are not ready to invest in cannabinoids yet. And I'm here to change that. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Maggie and Ross. We're really happy to have you here with us today. Before we get to your blunt truth, could you please give us a little bit of background about yourself and about Nalu Bio? Sure. I come out of the biotech industry uh, for the last 20 years. Nalu Bio is my sixth startup. I've been in many different therapeutic areas, but what I love is the intersection of science and technology. I've been in Alzheimer's, I've been in diabetes, I've been in cancer. And what excites me about CBD and cannabinoids is the therapeutic potential. There's so much therapeutic potential for cannabinoids. I believe ultimately that we can use cannabinoids to reduce use of pain medications and in particular opioids. So at Knowledge Bio, we are developing cannabinoids through chemistry. So cannabinoids can be made or extracted from the hemp plant or the cannabis plant. They can be biosynthesized, which means you can use organisms like E. coli or sugars to ferment cannabinoids. But we're taking an aspirin approach to cannabinoids and CBD. We're making cannabinoids and CBD in the lab through a chemistry-based platform. Thanks, Caitlin. It's really exciting times out there in the cannabis economy when we see companies and founders like yourself that are bringing experience from uh, historically experience from other sectors and other businesses that have pioneered the scientific pathways. I'd love to dig into, if you could talk to our listeners about what attracted you to this space and, and how did you make that shift to, to lean into cannabis as a foundation for your next biotech startup? Sure. Uh, so my co-founder, Phyllis, who I've known for 10 or more years, called me up one day I was at a cancer genomics company and she said, Caitlin, do you know what CBD is? And I said, yes, Phyllis, I know what CBD is. I'm from the big island of Hawaii. I'm very familiar with cannabis, CBD. It's not new to me. Uh, growing up, it was around. And so I started looking into CBD and cannabis and the molecules and realized that cannabinoids, the broader category, binds to a receptor in our body called the GPCR receptor. And that's one of the most druggable targets. And why I realized that there's huge therapeutic potential. And so bringing my biotechnology and kind of life sciences background into cannabis 
I said, wow, we could develop drugs. We could develop new chemical entities based on CBD and other cannabinoids. And that was really exciting because diabetes is a large market, one in three. Alzheimer's is a big market. There's 20 or 30 million people with Alzheimer's every year. But cannabis could touch any everyone and CBD could touch everyone. And one in four consumers are using it now today. So there's a huge opportunity to have a huge impact on health and wellness and particularly opioid sparing. This is super exciting. And when you think about that, one of the things that, that we look at and try to understand is during the period of cannabis prohibition, there has either been prohibited or very little research or science that has been embarked on. So when you looked at the space and said, you know what, we need to start pioneering the science that you're doing at NALU, like, how did you think about that? How did you approach it? What were your concerns? And, and what, what have you found? Sure. Well, it's really interesting. So typically, early science and technology comes out of academic labs, and it's funded by the NIH, National Institute of Health. And so I started looking around for the data and publications, and there weren't any because CBD and, and cannabinoids weren't legal until the Farm Bill in 2018. So that baseline science and technology and innovation just wasn't there. And starting to talk to scientists, I realized it wasn't there because it wasn't legal. They couldn't get funded. They couldn't get NIH grants to fund that. And so one of the things that excited me is that with the you know federal legalization of CBD and the Farm Bill, that really changed the opportunity for science to look at cannabinoids. And most people don't know you have an endocannabinoid system. And it was discovered in the 80s. And so you have all of these receptors in your body in which these cannabinoids, both internal endocannabinoids and phytocannabinoids, plant-based cannabinoids that they bind to. And there's, they're slowly building data and science to support the efficacy of that. And so that's really our mission. We want to not only develop chemistry-based cannabinoids, but we want to do the cellular studies, the animal studies, ultimately the human clinical studies to prove the efficacy of it. Because right now, you know, people can refer to CBD as snake oil. Does it work? It doesn't work. There's a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And so we're here to build kind of the science data and credibility of cannabinoids. What would you say some of the biggest challenges are when, I love that you mentioned the snake oil concept. So anecdotally, one of the things that, that we struggle with in the market is there's thousands and thousands of, you know, small companies that are delivering product to consumers and, and they're expected to have some level of efficacy. The broad majority of people that have tried CBD, for example, to, you know, self-manage, whether it's sleep or inflammation or pain, have had good results, but they're all over the board. So what do you see being necessary in order to, prov to, to, to build that consistency and quality into the marketplace? Yeah, that's actually where we started. So my co-founder, Randall, his father had MS and he started giving him some combination of CBD and THC and realized that the same brand, the same dosing had a completely different effect. And we realized the inconsistencies of products out there on the market. And so if you're synthesizing it or making it through chemistry, it's the same thing every time. It's pure, it's consistent, and it's reliable. What consumers don't know is they don't know how much to take. How much CBD should I take? How much THC should I take? And what I think is really interesting is there's one drug that's approved by the FDA called Epidiolex. 
It's an orphan drug for child epilepsy. And those children or young teenagers, they take 1,500 milligrams a day of CBD. And when you go to the store and you see a beverage with five milligrams of CBD in it, your body is absorbing just a tiny fraction of that, and it's really not doing anything. And so the challenge for the industry is that we haven't figured out the dosing, and we don't understand how to correctly dose for a particular indication. And so that's when you get the snake oil, because sometimes it works in some people, their endocannabinoid system is different. And in other times, um, there's absolutely no effect. So that's a challenge for us because people just, they don't know, they don't believe it. They don't know if it works or not. Along those lines, could you share with our listeners the recent study that came out of Indiana University Bloomington in regards to equivalency? So we just did a study with Indiana University. Thanks for mentioning that, Maggie. And we get the question, is CBD made in the lab the same as CBD that comes out of a plant? And the molecule that we've made is exactly the same. And we did a study with Indiana University to prove that. We get that question a lot from community, from consumers, from customers. How do I know that's the exact same molecule? So we put it into two assays. These are cellular assays, CB1 and GPR55. Again, I mentioned you have an endocannabinoid system. So our CBD binds to those. And we showed that it's exactly the same. and has the same response as CBD that comes from the hemp plant. So we're super excited. And, and Ken Mackey, our collaborator there, has been studying the endocannabinoid system for the last 30 years. So if you want to know anything about your endocannabinoid system, you go to Ken. Well, if we could switch gears for a moment here, and I appreciate you sharing the, the results of that study. But in your introduction, you mentioned that this is your sixth startup. So I would say sixth startup to me, that says seasoned founder. So I would venture to say that you're relatively young. <laughs> this is your sixth startup. And I, and I say this because I've worked with founders who, yeah, they might have six startups, their 10th startup, but they tend to be older men. <laughs> so in terms of the norm, this is outside of the norm. So can you share with some of our listeners, because we have listeners who are aspiring founders or they're in the middle of their first startup and they're in the trenches. How did you get here? How did you get to be on your sixth startup? And what are the lessons that you've learned or that you can share with our listeners? So I'm actually a biologist by training. So I love the science. And I learned right out of college, I had no interest really in business or building companies. And I started with an internet um, software company during the first tech boom. And I realized that I was an entrepreneur at heart. We were pitching with a PowerPoint presentation to venture capitalists in Silicon Valley. And I was like, wow, this is really fun. Like, I love telling stories. I love building products. I love solving problems. And that just launched a career. And after being in the internet and the bust, I realized, wow, I miss science. I miss biology. And so I found the biotech industry, which was a perfect combination of entrepreneurialism and science. And I've just moved from company to company my husband always thinks I'm crazy because I'm all about the technology. I'm about the new, next, hot thing. I was trying to convince people that prediabetes was a thing 15 years ago, and now pharma has ads about prediabetes. Well, no one thought it was a disease 15 years ago. 
or Alzheimer's. I'm trying to convince people you can kind of uh, delay Alzheimer's with diet and nutrition. People thought I was crazy. So here I am doing CBD. I think people still think I'm crazy. <laughs> I look a bit different than your typical uh, cannabis entrepreneur, Maggie. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> So, so one of the things I like about investing in the cannabis space is that the entrepreneurs look and feel differently from entrepreneurs that we've seen in other sectors historically. And, and Maggie was mentioning gender and age and all that. So look, for us, we think great companies are built by great founders and there is no gender or age discrimination in that with the caveat that experience does matter. So when you think about the successes and the experience that you have as an entrepreneur, I received a comment on my book one time. Did I mention, Maggie, that I wrote a book? I, I wrote a book called Cannabis Capital. We can move and, right past that, Caitlin. We can move right past that shameless <laughs> plug. I think and I have I had, three copies, so don't oh, worry. Just, <laughs> they're, 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 they're going on eBay for thousands of dollars now, so you're sitting on a fortune there. So the... Somebody actually sent me a comment and I think they thought it was a negative comment or some feedback on Amazon or something like that. And they said, this book isn't that specific to cannabis. It could be for any company in any sector. And I said, that's the point, right? So can you talk a little bit about your experience and first principles of entrepreneurship and what does and doesn't translate to you building a pioneering company in this new cannabis economy? All of the companies I've been at, the first is, are you solving a problem that people actually have? Because there are a lot of companies out there, particularly in tech, where they're not necessarily solving a very important hard problem. So I like one to solve hard problems. And CBD and, and cannabis right now is a hard problem. There's a lack of data. There's a stigma attached to it. And, and there's a lack of funding, really, even at the federal level and also in the venture community. So hard problem, impactful problem. The second, you know, is really building a team that is passionate about that problem. So you need a team who really cares because it's hard, it's long, there's ups and downs. And so you need people who are really committed to the mission and the vision of the company. And then the next piece is persistence. You need to, as an entrepreneur, it's a lot of persistence. You need, and you need to believe when everyone else tells you that it's a bad idea or it's not going to work. You ultimately need to believe that it will work and continue to push that vision forward. You revealed in your blunt truth, we need biotech investors to get ready to invest in cannabis biotech. What do our investors need to get ready for? How can you prepare them? Yeah, blunt truth. Biotech investors are not there yet. They're not there yet. And CBD, they're not there on uh, cannabis or THC. Our mission in NoloBio is to develop uh, derivatives, so drugs based on CBD and others. And ultimately, we want to take those through a typical drug development process as a typical biotech company. You need investors to fund that. But there's still a stigma attached to it in their limited partner document, CBD and THC is still considered a vice. And we haven't seen these huge wins on biotech drug development. There's probably one company, GW Pharma, that's really been ultimately successful in this space. 
And so I'm here to show that CBD and cannabinoids, they're viable drug candidates. It's a huge opportunity. And I'm hoping that investors will change their mind and remove the stigma attached to to cannabinoids long term. So, so Caitlin, is, is it in your estimation governance at the investment funds that are regulating them or, or is there a component of this of risk return? Because we're investors we, and I think you're doing something extraordinarily meaningful, special and is going to be massive. Every investor likes to make money at the end of the day. So aside from the governance, right, is there still any consternation about market opportunity or risk? Yeah, I think governance is definitely one challenge, but market opportunity is the second, right? It's such a nascent, I consider it such a nascent economy or industry that we just haven't seen enough wins yet for investors to say, hey, this really is an area that I want to invest in. And they're also new. They need a lot of education. So a lot of my job is not only telling a story about chemistry-based cannabinoids, but also just getting them up to speed on on the industry, on the companies, on the comps, on the fact that consumers are using this. It does work. So I think it's it's also a lot of education for investors as well. How do you handle that when you're presenting to an investor, group of investors, a panel, to take such complicated concepts and drill it down to a 10-page presentation. What really goes into that? Because I think some advice in that space, in that realm would be helpful to our listeners because if you're pitching an idea and the audience doesn't get it, then it's really on you as the pitcher. Your job is to educate in a very succinct amount of time. So what advice could you give our listeners on how to take complicated concepts and drill it down for an audience to easily understand? Yeah, it's a great question. I believe in analogies. So I think people, things that investors can relate to. So aspirin is my favorite analogy for Nalobio in that aspirin came from the willow tree 150 years ago, from the willow bark, basically. And it's a natural product. In fact, the Egyptians used it and they realized it was an analgesic for pain. And so it used to come from the willow bark tree. Now it's made by Bayer in the lab, and it's the number one prescribed medicine in the world. And it's more cost-effective. The purity is better. That's why you synthesize something in the lab or create it through chemistry. And so I use that analogy to say most products that we consume today started off as a natural ingredient or natural product, and it's just the natural evolution to be made in the lab and synthesized. And so That's how I try to convince folks. They're taking some very complex chemistry down to just a simple white pill like aspirin. And and Caitlin, it's my understanding, and and maybe you could expand on this, that the consistency of the chemistry or the, the, the compound is different when it occurs in a lab, i.e. more consistent, versus when it occurs in nature. That's exactly right. So in nature cannabinoids, and there are like 140 different cannabinoids in the plant, let's say the hemp plant, for example, they exist in very low concentration. So you're trying to extract out a very small amount 
of an RKCBD or could be THC or other cannabinoids. So you're trying to extract that out. And that's a very complex process. You're trying to get rid of 95% of the plant material to get to 5% of the CBD. And, and that creates inconsistencies. It creates um, variability from batch to batch. Plants also just are inherently, they're natural, right? There's different soil, there's different land, there's different conditions in which these things are growing. And so if you're doing it in the lab, you're taking the same ingredients, you're combining them, and you get the same result every time. And so it allows it to be much more consistent, like aspirin. I'm sure there was a lot of variability when it was coming from the willow bark. And now, you know, it's it's synthesized by Bayer. It's it's the same thing. You you don't question whether your aspirin's gonna work when you take it or your Advil. But doesn't that go back to what we were talking about earlier about snake oil versus quality, right? I haven't met so my mom had recommended C B D from her trainer, her personal trainer. And and it's this one to one interaction of somebody who is saying yes, this, this this works. You should try this. And some worked, and some didn't. How are you solving for that? I think that's a really important point that I I want to make sure we we don't brush over. Is that I don't think anybody is is wondering about or debating whether or not cannabis can be applicable in a whole different variety of of uses, right? I mentioned earlier, inflammation, pain management, treatment, of managing of Parkinson's. You, you talked about MS earlier. Like this is broad and broad in scope. And yet somehow we're, you know, on a one-to-one basis, just interacting with people saying, yeah, try this, try that. Yeah. I think the first, the first answer is you really need a product that's consistent you get the same result every time. And that's our goal. That's the, the first order. And then the second is the data and science to support it. So yes, we believe it could be useful in Parkinson's and MS and Alzheimer's, but there's very limited data to support that. So organizations like ourselves, academic organizations, it's going to take a body of evidence to convince um, consumers and, and users of that. And then I think it's going to take time too, like anything. I think it's going to take time for people to get comfortable with the use of these ingredients or these products. What role do you think the FDA will play in regards to regulation? And have you found that they're receptive or are there hints that the FDA will be receptive to, I don't want to say friendly regulation, that's not really the right term, but smart regulation? Yeah, so I think the FDA really doesn't know what to do because this this ingredient, CBD, or this molecule has been out there for years. It's a $5 billion market. People are putting it in supplements and skin cream and beverages. And so the FDA, but yet there is an FDA-approved drug that's just CBD. And so the the challenge is it's been approved as a drug, but people are using it, I'll call it over the counter. And it's a conundrum. And right now we're at a almost like a stalemate with the FDA because they know their job is safety and efficacy. First, to keep people from harming themselves. And second, to provide therapeutics that help to, to treat disease. And so I believe that the FDA is going to have to come out. They're they're not going to be able to stop the use of CBD. It's just, it's too far past that. But what they are going to do is they're going to want 
consistency, quality, and efficacy. And so that's really our goal. Consistent CBD, quality CBD, so you don't have pesticides, heavy metals that you would in plant-based CBD, and efficacy and data to show that it worked. It's a dialogue with the FDA right now, but ultimately I believe they'll put some you know, guidelines around it, but I think just straight CBD ultimately will be allowed by the FDA. I just want to double click on Maggie, your your question and, and this conversation around regulation. It's our view, and agree to disagree, it's it's our view that we're not looking for a pathway for no regulation. In fact, I think we would prefer to see smart regulation and more regulation in order to create a marketplace where consumers are getting the the outcomes that they're looking for. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. We we don't it's the wild west right now, right? There's not a lot of regulation. So people can do anything. They can make any claim they want and the FDA is unless you're making egregious claims, it's not really coming after companies or manufacturers. But I would agree regulation around consistency and quality is absolutely needed. Like any other supplement, there's basically the FDA comes out with terms that you have to stick to. And if you stick to those, you're allowed to sell it and use it. You just have to be very careful again about the claims that you make. You can't claim that you're curing cancer or curing Alzheimer's unless you absolutely have the data to show that and prove that. So I agree. And I'm hoping that we can help to be part of that dialogue and conversation around putting the right um, guardrails around CBD so that people are safe and they understand the use cases for it. So if you could, Caitlin, we wind down every interview by asking our founders, what's advice that you could share or the one piece of advice that you wish someone had shared with you or your hardest lesson that you've learned as a founder? So if you could share that with our listeners for any aspiring entrepreneurs out there. The hardest lesson I've learned so far in building Nalu Bio is even if you think your approach is better and novel, it's like we're trying to roll a boulder uphill right now. There's a lot of people that believe CBD from or any cannabinoid from hemp in the plant is the way to go. It's been romanticized. It's natural. It's organic. But the challenge is what comes with that is a lot of inconsistency. And so sometimes when I'm talking about NALU and the incredible chemistry that we're doing, people look at me like I'm crazy because it comes from a plant. I I ultimately believe that's the way cannabinoids will be manufactured, but I think that's been um, the biggest challenge to date. Well, Caitlin, we also like to wrap up with any recommendations. Like, do you have any books that you would recommend for the aspiring entrepreneurs out there? I knew that was coming. You could feel it. (laughs) The cannabis economy, Ross. (laughs) Uh, It's so important. We can't say it enough on this podcast. The cannabis economy. Well, Caitlin, thank you. This has been incredible. I think we've given a lot for the listeners to think about as we discover in all these conversations and in particular in all the interactions we've had with you, like there there are no simple answers, but there are solutions and the, the, the solutions can be complicated. They can be scientific and they require a lot of discipline and successful entrepreneurship to, to, to bring them to light. So thank you for doing everything that you're doing. And thank you for joining us today. I think this has been really exciting. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.